2: The views given on the following program are not necessarily the views of the station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different, please remember this when exercising any options presented by our
1: guests.
0: is with the top of the bottom success is
2: This is Care for My Wealth. With Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, your fee-only investment firm. Now, here's your care for my wealth guide, Chris Klein. My dream. And happy Saturday morning to you. This is Care for My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. Joined as we are every Saturday morning by Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. You can get to know Chris and the team at Capstone. Simply head on over to the website, careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. Telephone number 866 866- Five nine six ninety eight eighty six. That's eight six six five nine six ninety eight eighty six. And if you want to email Chris, you can of course send him one at info at careformywealth dot com. That's info at careformywealth.com. Without any further ado, Chris, how's your Saturday morning so
1: far? fantastic happy summer yesterday uh like 85 degrees yeah. on the first day of october that doesn't suck right no
2: not at all you're sounding extra crisp this week are you are you using a, a, a new device to, to talk with us this week
1: Chris? <laughs> new device yeah new toys my boys got me something cool for my birthday so uh hey my my boys are just amazing. You know they like to surprise pa every now and then. <laughs> and if
2: and if they're listening, by the way, guys, uh, your dad uh, your dad speaks very highly of uh, of the guys you are. And uh, <laughs> it's it's great to hear and it. it's great and happy belated birthday too, Chris. I know I was uh, was last week, but uh, happy birthday to you. And uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on. And and um, one of the great things about this program is um, kind of cutting through the. There's a lot of garbage out there. There's a ton of garbage out there, Chris. And one Indeed. of the one of the things I really enjoy about getting the opportunity to talk with you each and every week is cutting through that cutting through that crap. And uh, and pardon my language, by the way, but but because of all of that, it's good to good to kind of get a, a perspective on this. And um, you had mentioned also before came on the air today, just kind of what the world of macro was locking in on, which is the U.S. dollar and that and that D word. Let's talk about what's right. going on there and why people aren't really reading it correctly.
1: Well, yeah, no, that's that's actually a really good point. So so the world of macro really does revolve around the U.S. dollar. And I've talked about this a little bit in some past shows, especially this year, where if you get the movement of the dollar right, you pretty much get the movement of everything else right. And that's why during some of the shows, what I'll talk about are the correlations that exist in other macro elements comparative to the dollar. So You'll hear me talk about a dollar correlation with the S&P 500, with oil, with the CRB index, which again, for anyone who might be listening for the very first time, the CRB index is simply a basket of 19 commodities uh, that help track the movement of inflation. And as most people know, we're, we're experiencing an inflationary move that really we haven't seen since like the seventies and anyone who's listening, who's old enough to remember what the mid seventies were like in terms of inflation will know that it wasn't awesome uh, just to be an average citizen of the United States. Everything became incredibly expensive and you don't hear about that sort of stuff. You know, like for example, on Wednesday into Thursday, uh, cheese was up 8% day over day. I mean, who talks about cheese as a commodity, really? When it when it comes to day to day investment stuff, <clears throat> we do because it has an impact. Milk, palm oil, those kinds of things—they're up like ten to thirteen percent on a year over year basis, or excuse me, on a on a month over month basis. Uh, lumber, same sort of thing—it's like thirty percent in the last uh, last month over month cycle. So, it, it, you know, when I think about the dollar, we compare it against all these other macro asset classes, gold, Bitcoin included. And, and, and for a very, very long portion of, of this year, we've had fairly well embedded inverse correlations that will ebb and flow on a short-term 15-day basis. And we view that kind of as a trade scenario. Again, for the benefit of anyone who might be listening for the very first time, we view things what are called fractally. Uh, and we utilize not a single factor model like in a moving average or something like that, but it's a multi-factor, multi-durational model. The factors are price, volume, and volatility, and that's built into a, a mathematical calculus to help us identify movements of trade durations, which is three weeks or less, or trend durations, which is three weeks, or excuse me, three months or more. And then ultimately what you call what's called the tail duration, which is three years or less. And the reason you use a multi-factored multi-durational modeling system is that it takes into consideration all the things that move markets. And what everyone got myopically focused on this past week was the US dollar breaking above a single factor 50-day moving average. And when that happens, the chart chasers come out, right? (laughs) So you'll hear everyone and their brother get on CNBC, MSNBC, all financial news networks, Bloomberg, you name it. And the narratives will just fly. I mean, just like crazy. No one will talk about the fact that over the past week, and I can go back into my notebook and I can give you specific times and dates because for us, why doesn't matter. I I literally could care less about why. And I get the question from time to time. Not too many clients call up and say, hey, Chris, why did this happen? Because they they know where I come from. They know that I really don't care about why. But what I care about is the particulars of the particular and the when. The when matters more than the why. And so for us, we're very, very heavily focused on particular things at particular times that help us to identify when. Do you always get it right? No, of course not. You know, the world of investing is a very dynamically uh, moving beast <laughs> to, to put it lightly. And, and, you know, if everybody got it right all the time, of course, that, you know, would be like, I don't know, maybe Bernie Madoff or something like that. That's not us. We're very heavily focused on attempting to get the big stuff, right so as to stay away from the big implosions the ability to stay away from like for example the implosion of 2020 the implosion of 2008 the implosion of 2000 you know it's it's being able to stay away from that kind of stuff that helps you compound your capital better over time but if i look back in my notebook and i can pull back to any particular time date uh, that you ask and say hey what was the correlation for the us dollar on You know, pick a day. Uh, How about August 26th, just as an example, just because I threw my notebook open to that day. Well, the S&P 500 had a negative correlation of the US dollar of 0.58. What's that mean? It just means that as the correlation of a particular asset class connects itself to the dollar in an inverse fashion, it will become a tailwind for that asset class as the US dollar goes down. All right. So let's fast forward that to yesterday. Yesterday, the S&P 500 had a negative U.S. dollar correlation of minus 0.83. Now that's getting really heavy, right? So the U.S. dollar does its thing. It dances around and we have it measured and mapped every single day on what the range of probable movement will likely be for the U.S. dollar. Yesterday, the probable range of movement, if you look at the DXY, which is U.S. dollar index, was 92 spot 54 to 94 spot 45. That was the probable range of motion. What's important about that is two things. Number one, the day before, which was Thursday of this past week, the top end of that particular range of motion. Again, this is a calculus based on price volume and volatility of that thing. In this case, we're talking about the dollar. But the top end on Thursday was 94 spot 51. The day before that, it was 93 spot 87. So what had happened is, is that it was continuing to ratchet itself to the upside as some currency volatility was making its way into the market. Okay, well, that will happen. As as volatility of a thing starts to accelerate, the range that's calculated will continue to accelerate and move itself in that direction, right? Well, then on Friday, yesterday, the top end dropped to 94.45 from 94.51. Now, some people will say, well, that's not very much, Chris. I mean, what's the takeaway from that? Well, the takeaway from that is that the dollar was very, very overbought. It was slightly above trend at 93 spot 94. It was giving enough signals to consider that it's more likely than not Ready to move into that downward motion as a part of the rising probability of quad two. Now, again, for those of you listening for the very first time, <clears throat> we are a uh, we are a firm that will build um, daily quantum mental models, and we utilize a risk management system uh, authored and, and and maintained through hedge-eye Risk Management that identifies specific movements of specific things as they go through the economic sign curve, sign S I N E right. Mathematically focused. If you think about the U S dollar and its movement, the only place that the U S dollar goes up is in a deflationary cycle. It's called quad four. We are not in quad four and you don't have to look around very far to figure out that everything around you is not deflationary, (laughs) (laughs) right? I don't think you have to be a math whiz to sit back and look around and say, well, I'm paying quite a bit more for almost everything that I buy all over the place, right? But we look at some very, very specific things and ask ourselves, okay, well, the probability of quad two has actually been rising. Quad two is growth accelerating alongside inflation accelerating, all right? Well, clearly, inflation is accelerating. Just look at the CRB index. Pick up a chart of the CRB index, and what do you find? You're going to find that this thing is literally moving straight up and to the right if you looked at it on a chart, right? Well, that's inflation accelerating. Growth accelerating is defined by the acceleration or the delta or the rate of change of GDP, Now, in the third quarter, all the big guys were decelerating their GDP numbers. In other words, the catalyst was that they were bringing them down. And then the next move likely is that the catalyst is that they bring them back up because the numbers end up beating their declined data. We're viewing that from the standpoint of an acceleration of growth. And again, the number doesn't matter, Sean. What matters is, is it accelerating or decelerating? Are we going from a GDP number of, just as an example, five to 5.1? Are we going from 5.1 to 5.12? Are we going from five to 4.95? The number doesn't have a lot of benefit in in, in the way in which markets function. What matters is it's acceleration or deceleration. I mean, I mean realistically, what's a number mean to you without some type of context? Nothing, I mean, nothing. Yeah. Somebody says, oh, GDP was 4%. Well, okay, okay. to the a- average person, they say, well, that sounds pretty good. And then the market blows up, and everyone goes, "Well, well, how did the, how did that happen? We got growth. It's acceleration or deceleration that moves the markets. And so the functioning process is looking at growth via GDP, inflation via CPI, and then policy, which is obviously a function of looking at what's happening with growth and inflation in an attempt to front run the policymakers. So all that said." We started to look at all the data and said, you know what, it's only going to take about five basis points of movement of GDP for Q4 to end up with an acceleration, which means we're right back into Quad 2. So then you start looking at, well, what things happen inside a Quad 2? Gold goes down. Why? Because real interest rates, real rates go up. By the way, real rates were up 35 basis points in less than three weeks. And this was as of, uh, as of uh, Thursday, when, when yields kind of peaked out for the week. Now, that's a lot. 35 basis points. point That's huge. Inside of three weeks, that's a big move. But again, gold goes down because real interest rates go up. Commodities go up. Inflation goes up. But the U.S. dollar in those particular asset classifications, in those particular uh, uh, viewpoints of the quad, right, quad two and quad three, for that matter, the U.S. dollar goes down. The only quadrant that the U.S. dollar goes up is in quad four. So we have to ask ourselves, well, what one thing doesn't look like the others? Well, the one thing that doesn't look like the others, this is U.S. dollar. And so then you start to see these overbought signals develop within the U.S. dollar market. You start to see a bottoming process take place in the euro. You start to see a couple of other things happen. And you say, you know what? I just can't buy into the, the, the belief by the street that the U.S. dollar is breaking above its 50-day moving averages. So therefore, we're going into deflation. You better buy long-term treasuries. You better buy gold. You know, You better do all this stuff. And we said, no, that's not right. That that's just, this isn't where we are. And so you you make these choices, you make these decisions and you say, all right, well in quad two, what I know is that yields go up and alongside that equities go up. But the equities that go up end up becoming smaller cap, mid cap technology kinds of things that start to develop a much, much better process of momentum. And so you have to look at these things and say, okay, these things don't look like the others. We have to ask ourselves, is there anything in here that we really, really are missing? Well, also in Quad Two, what you'll find is that as yields on the US 10 year treasury start to accelerate higher, you'll also see the yield curve get steeper. Well, what is the yield curve? The yield curve is nothing more than a graphical depiction of two year treasuries compared to 10 year treasuries. When that flattens, two-year treasuries and 10-year treasuries yields become very close to one another. So imagine a two-year treasury paying you know 0.2% and a 10-year tre- treasury paying 0.2%. Well, that's pretty flat. Draw a line from 0.2 to 0.2 and you got a flat line. Looks like you're looking at the horizon. If the 10-year treasury is paying 1.6 and two-year treasuries are paying 0.2, 0.25, something like that. Well, now all of a sudden you go from 2 to 10 and it's up and to the right. It's getting steeper. Quad 2 is one of these economic developments as it moves through the sine curve where you will find higher yields on the U.S. 10-year treasury accelerating alongside a steepening of the yield curve. Now, why is the yield curve steepening? The bond market's really smart. The bond market will sniff out economic growth and its rate of change before anything else out there. Well, if the yield curve steepening, what is that? That's the bond market sniffing out the high and rising likelihood that U.S. GDP starts to reaccelerate into Q4 exactly at the time that nobody expects it because everybody's myopically focused on the U.S. dollar and saying, well, that it broke above its 50 day moving average. And so because of that, we've got to be in deflation. The world's coming to an end. No, the world's not coming to an end.
2: <laughs> he, is, he is Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. Great information, as always, on the program. Don't forget, if you missed any part of today's show, you want to listen back to some previous programs as well, you can head on over to careformywealth.com or foxsports1070.com. Both have links to the podcasts of the program. Again, while you're at the website, careformywealth.com, you can learn more about Chris and the team at Capstone Wealth Management. Again, the website, careformywealth.com. Telephone number 866 9886. That's 866-596-9886. You can also email Chris info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. We'll continue our conversation with Chris of Capstone Wealth Management. Next as care for my wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. Chris Chris Klein continues right here on Fox Sports 1070 the
1: game. This is
2: Care for My Wealth here on Fox Sports 1070, the game hanging out this morning with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, the website careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com, telephone number 866-596-9886, that's 866-596-9886, Chris's email info at careformywealth.com, info at careformywealth.com, talking about the U.S. dollar and the perception of it and what's kind of the reality of it all and um we were talking a bit during the break and and i think one of the one of the lines you said is it all ties back to the u.s dollar (laughs) everything yeah it it does you know
1: it does, everything going on. No, that's a, that's you're absolutely right. You, you, you get the dollar right. You get just about everything else right. And you know just as an example. And this is something that a lot of people are not really fully aware of because well of a number of things. but what, what most people don't recognize because it's largely been masked by the major index price movement, right is that there's te- there's been this technical cyclical bear market for stocks really since February. Now, I say that to the average person, and I say, what? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's masked by the movement of the major indexes. The average eye typically doesn't see it or understand it because they're looking at these capitalization-weighted indexes like the S&P 500. But the average New York Stock Exchange stock is down like, like 20%. It's a median drawdown, if you look at all of them in the universe of the New York Stock Exchange, of about 15%. Now that's a, that's a, a real correction for an equity, but no hot, no matter how you cut it, it it's actually even worse than the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ's average stock is down like something to the tune of 25, 30% where the median drawdown is down like 2023. 20, so from a macro perspective, you view how the movement of the U.S. dollar has occurred. And if you look at where the dollar was in February, comparative to it today on a real rate of change basis, the DXY or the dollar index is actually a little higher today than it was in February, right? Okay. Well, that rising motion of the dollar over that period of time in an up and down fashion, right? I mean, the dollar went from you know mid February at like roughly ninety spot fifty <clears throat> up to about ninety three forty two failed came back up in, all the way to ninety three fifty back in in August failed and then came right back up to trend again uh, which I talked about in the last segment being you know ninety three spot ninety four and failed again and, and so I'm, I'll, I'll talk about that in just a moment but you know it's been a real struggle really since February, but from our management process, it's been a bit of a struggle since the beginning of June with the headwind of the motion and movement of the dollar and, and at the same time, you know, I'm always looking to try and generate alpha for the benefit of clients. I am always looking for a gain. I look at it every week, every month, every quarter. The year and years will take care of themselves if I focus very heavily on the shorter term. It's not to suggest we're massive traders or anything like that. Do we touch the portfolio daily? Absolutely. We sell a little bit of something that is a macro position that is up on the day, and we'll buy a little bit of something else that's a macro position that's down on the day. So first and foremost, we have to figure out what quadrant are we in on an economic basis? What's the rate of change in the cycle telling us? And then we'll ask ourselves, well, what's the signal saying based on those positions that back test the best inside that economic quadrant. So we've got our list, we build our positions out. And then sometimes you get into a cycle like in the beginning of June, where the dollar wants to actually start to accelerate. And so if you look at how the dollar was positioned at the end of May, at roughly 90 on the DXY, yeah, we've been kind of straight up and to the right through that process. But what's always been the focus is what's been happening during that exact same time frame. with, for example, inflation. And the best and easiest way to just view inflation is what you see in the CRB index, right? And so if you look at the CRB index over that, exa- is that exact same period of time, right? Like the end of May till now, It too has been straight up and to the right. So you step back and you go, well, we've had these negative correlations for the index, the CRB and the U S dollar. And so that's a little bit odd. Again, it's never just one thing. We have to look at all things in concert and in connection with one another and ask ourselves, is there something that is seriously shifting or is there just something that's off Well, it again, back to that US dollar correlation and that US dollar scenario, we have to look at it and say to ourselves, okay, well, it wanted to go up, it wanted to go up, it wanted to go up, but all of a sudden it hit trend. I mentioned a few numbers in the last segment. Yesterday, the range of motion top in ninety-four spot forty-five. The dollar topped out at ninety-four spot uh, twenty-four. No, excuse me, ninety-four spot fifty. So the calculated range of motion was ninety-four spot forty-five. It went to ninety-four fifty. Trend, 93 spot 94, so it's a little bit above trend.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. But
1: our view is that it hit that level and failed. Now, as it fails, the likelihood is that it goes to the low end of the range, which is 92 spot 54. Now, it could go a lot lower than that. And you have to look at this from a more historical context, but the U S dollar could very, very easily break sub 90, very easily. It's not something that you look at and go, Oh, it's never going to happen. It could very, very easily do that. Now, will we see it in this cycle of the high and rising probability of a quad two motion? Maybe, I don't know. When we talk about movements of the economic cycle, we're always comparing against something called base effects, Base effects simply are where the GDP and the CPI numbers were for the previous quarter and the previous year. So, you look at it quarter over quarter and year over year. If the number that's being expected slash reported for this quarter is accelerating higher than the previous quarter and the previous year, you have an acceleration. Pretty straightforward, right? If that's happening for both growth and inflation you have quad two. Maybe sometimes quad one, just depends. right? But quad two is likely the motion and the movement. <clears throat> quad two is where you find financials do well, technology does well, energy does well. Those are, are the top three macro factors right now. Tech, energy, and financials. Now, for us, we haven't we haven't dipped into the financial sector yet. And the reason why we haven't dipped into the financial sector yet is that yields just went on a rip over the past week. And you kind of got to wait for that yield cycle to settle in a little bit. And when that happens, then the calculated range will bring the financial sector down to a bottom level and we'll start to enter into it. But until then, you just kind of work through it and then let it develop. So, you know, back to the fact that most people were, were, were missing how cycles and motions and markets were moving. And as I mentioned, you know, as a firm, we've tried very, very hard to focus on the week, the month, the quarter. And our quarter for the Q3, just fully transparent, was not awesome. Now, we're still ahead of where the, the market is if you look at an average average, uh, like, for example, I'd mentioned the average stock in the New York Stock Exchange and the average stock in the NASDAQ. We're way ahead of that, right? I mean, down 15% on a median basis for the New York Stock Exchange, but yet for people who have been with us since the beginning of the year, up roughly eight and a half to nine, seven and a half to nine, depending upon the risk level that someone's taking. Yeah, uh, you myopically focus on just the motion of the the, the market cap weighted index itself. Yeah, of course, it's it's down. But at the same time, when we look at it on an alpha adjusted risk adjusted beta adjusted basis, it's it's way different. Right. So for us, we look at that and go, that's okay. You know, the third quarter is fine. We're off a little bit. Not a lot. It's certainly nothing to get worried or concerned about in our point of view. Our point of view is, what's the next thing? And the next thing, again, was telling us what the dollar was telling us, and that the high and likely rising probability of a failure at trend, perpetuating a motion and movement into more Quad 2 growth opportunities, alongside the fact that we see a steepening of the yield curve in a rising rate scenario, right, which is very different than what most people are probably set up for, especially in your typical 60-40 portfolio. Right. Talk. So you just have to think about that.
2: Talking with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, this is Care for My Wealth here on Fox Sports 1070 the game. The website careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. Chris's telephone number, 866-596-9886. That's eight six six five nine six ninety-eight eighty six. And you can email Chris info at careformywealth.com. That's INFO at care for my What role has has uh, COVID and some of the I'll, I'll I'll call it hysteria. What the, some of the some of the craziness around around COVID? What kind of effect has that had on 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 kind of the markets?
1: Uh, a lot, actually. That, that's actually a very good question. Um, when you think about how growth has has ebbed and flowed. Now, you remember back at the end of Q2, we commented how the high and likely rising probability of quad three in Q3 was the modal outcome. Quad three is stagflation. It's where growth decelerates and inflation accelerates. And in those particular instances, the things that do well typically are things like utilities. Tech still can do well during that time frame. Uh, gold has a tendency to do well in the midst of, uh, in the midst of a stagflationary cycle. Um, you know, So that, that's kind of how we view it. But stagflation is a place where, because of that deceleration of growth, you know, equity investing in general becomes very, very hard, as identified by what I just said about the the median drawdown in the New York Stock Exchange average stock. Right? You get that kind of motion; it's a headwind, and so it's it's a constant struggle, constant battle of finding those signals that that tell you where are the best places to be. So, COVID, the Delta variant that was, you know, on everybody's mind, and everybody was losing some of their macro craziness over it did dent the momentum that was coming out of Q2 into quad three. Right. And so you can see how the reportable cases of COVID were accelerating, you know, from say like uh, from May into June, into July. And then ultimately in August, August kind of had this spike. Right. And so the way we viewed it was, all right, if COVID's up, consumer confidence is down, services activity is down, service sector employment goes down. And that's, Exactly what we got, right? That's absolutely one of the uh, elements behind what caused some of the movement of the overall mathematical cycle, right? We don't want to get too crazy about that because why? Well, because if you really look at the global math, COVID cases are decelerating. They're not accelerating, they're decelerating. And you just got to look at the math of it. So if COVID decelerates, Hiring accelerates, service sector activity accelerates, that equals an income acceleration, which equals a consumption capacity acceleration, and that perpetuates the rising acceleration of quad two. Mm. So it all links together, right? It's Again, I just can't help but, but reiterate that it's never just one thing, it's always a number of things. Now, at the same time, if we go back and we think of uh, what things looked like in the beginning stages of Q4 2018. Now, just as a reminder, Q4 2018 was terrible. I mean, the market dropped like 30% right into Christmas. You know, Merry Christmas. Here you go. Kick in the face, right? Well, there were some things happening at that time that helped to give an inclination that, hey, this is common. One, we saw massive implied volatility discounts across the board. So the options market has 30-day realized volatility, and then you compare that against implied volatility, in other words, how people are positioning. People will position for protection, typically at the time where markets are bottoming and moving out. When you are positioning for protection in the options market, it develops into what's called an implied volatility premium. And so on our screens, it's pure green. When when an implied volatility discount develops, it means everybody's complacent. Hey, hallelujah. It's awesome. Throw a party, you know? Well, beginning stages of Q4, like literally right when Q4 started of 2018, everything on the screen was pure red. I mean, literally implied volatility discount everywhere. What does that mean? It means everybody's taken off their hedges. Nobody's protecting anything anymore. Everything's, you know, puppy dogs, roses, bubble gum, and rainbows or something. I don't know. But everybody's excited. That's typically the time where markets top. So when we see massive implied volatility discounts developing in a market, that makes us really nervous. That's the sort of thing that says, I want to take down some of my exposure dependent upon the movement of volatility itself. VIX which is broad S&P 500 volatility, VXN, which is broad NASDAQ volatility, depending upon where we are within the quad cycle. But the first two weeks of that that cycle, where there was a shift into quad four, quad four, remember, is deceleration, deflation. Quad four is typically the time where VIX spikes above 30, which becomes an uninvestable market. You have to be very careful in VIX 30 plus. That's where Captain Stock Picker literally just just gets blown up. And then you have to ask yourself, all right, is it an investable quad four or not? An investable quad four just means that, yeah, you're in a deflationary cycle with the dollar accelerating, breaking above trends, staying there longer than a hot second, you know, all that sort of stuff. And VIX stays below 30. That's an investable quad four. Q4 of 2018 was an uninvestable quad four cycle. And we saw it coming because implied volatility discounts literally blowing out high yield spreads, blowing out high yield spreads. What's that? The difference between the interest rate or yield on a junk bond comparative to a safe treasury. Those numbers start to expand. They blow up when the market, the bond market especially, is getting nervous and worried about an equity market implosion. Well, where are, where are high-yield spreads today? Well, as of yesterday, high-yield spreads were a whopping 2.89, right? So we call it 289 basis points over safe treasuries. I don't even get thinking about what high-yield spreads are doing until they blow out above three, 300, right? 3.00 or 300 basis points. They're not there. What's that telling me? It's telling me there's no stress in the bond market. Bond markets looking at where we're at right now, eh, doesn't matter. Q4 2018, not the same, (laughs) right? Blowing out. Currency stuff, blowing out. Move index, treasury volatility, blowing out. None of that's happening right here today. So again, we have to look at all the things in context and ask ourselves, okay, yeah, the dollar has gone up. But the only place that that works is inside quad four. We don't have blown up high yield spreads. We're in a situation where, where gold is responding as we would expect it to in quad two by going down. Yields are doing what we would expect them to inside quad two by going up alongside a steepening yield curve. Right. All these kinds of things are happening at the same time. And the screen is pure green in terms of implied volatility premiums, meaning there's a lot of fear in the system. When there's a lot of fear in the system, people are hedging. Hedge funds are hedging. Institutional investors are hedging. All sorts of things are happening where they hedge. Well, if you understand how the options market works, when these guys hedge like this, it perpetuates some market maker buying. (laughs) I know that's really hard to understand. And it literally is Greek because they use the Greeks in the mathematical cycle to figure (laughs) out how to do certain things we start talking about charm and Vanna and things like that, and it'll make people's heads spin. But the point being is, is that when we look at it from just a 30,000 foot view, the only thing of all of macro that is suggesting quad four is the dollar. But yet at the same time, we just watched it fail at trend at, at the high end of the mathematical range, which I talked about at 94 spot, 45 failed at ninety four fifty. It's just not a situation where it would surprise me to see the U.S. dollar fall next week. Now, if the U.S. dollar falls next week with a current dollar correlation, right? I'll give you these real quick. The current U.S. dollar correlations to the following asset classes, S&P 500 is a negative 0.83. Simply means that as the dollar goes down, it's a massive tailwind for the S&P 500 to the upside. The CRB index is A negative 0.06, so not as good as it's been, right? So the CRB index might be in a position where it says, "Eh, I'm going to take a little breather. All right, fine. CRB index goes down. What are we going to do? We're going to buy more commodities. We buy the stuff on red, we sell some of the stuff on green to buy the stuff on red, and vice versa. The uh, gold market is interesting because it has a current negative correlation of 0.71. That just simply means that it could very well buck the trend and either go up or down. Now, our trending process suggests that the low end on gold is spot 1719, high end 1778. If it gets to 1778, spot I'm going to short it because in quad two, gold goes down. Quad signal are the two major factors behind what to do with an asset class. The U.S. dollar correlations just give us an indication of what kind of tailwind or headwind might be there. And then there's Bitcoin. Bitcoin has a negative 0.58 negative correlation to the U.S. dollar. So could we see the U.S. dollar drop next week alongside uh, the S&P 500 and Bitcoin rip? Yeah, you could absolutely see that. Now, for me personally, yesterday, the Bitcoin calculation data showed 47,370 as the top end of the expected range of motion for Bitcoin. Just a few days prior, it was at 42,000, right? Mm -hmm. Ripped to the top side. I said, okay, process for me says when an asset that I own hits the top end of the mathematical range, I sell some of what I own. So I sold some of what I own because Bitcoin, as we know, has volatility metrics way different than everything else. I mean, way different, right? So I mentioned the uninvestable bucket of uh, S&P 500 being north of 30. Bitcoin's north of 80. (laughs) It could go to 42,000 in seconds, much less a day. So it hits the top of the range. What do you do? You sell some. Quad two, quad three are very friendly to Bitcoin, very friendly to US equities, right? Very friendly to European equities, too, by the way, which over the last month has not worked for us. We're long of Switzerland. We're long of the Netherlands. We're long of uh, France, although I'm getting rid of that one because the signal is suggesting something's different. And, uh, And we're long of Germany. Well, why? Because all the economic data there suggests the same thing. High and rising probability of motion and movement to and through quad two growth and inflation accelerating, which is where you see their equity markets do well. So the quad says one thing, the signal says another. And in both those instances, it said buy, which we did. It just didn't work for us in September. All right, fine. You could very easily see those markets rip to the upside in the midst of a declining dollar alongside reporting process of the economic data that's likely to come out over the next several weeks. Because we continue to see just a, a, a growth in growth and inflation coming out of everything that's Europe. And then, to your point at the beginning of this segment, talk about COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID decelerates, hiring, excel, hiring accelerates, service sector activity accelerates, income accelerates. Consumption capacity accelerates. That's what gets you that quad two. Well, what have we just seen get done across all of Scandinavia within the last five days? They literally got rid of any and every COVID protocol and said, it's the same as the flu. Go live your life. No lockdowns, no, no masks, no jabs, no nothing. D- do what you want to do. Thank you for being a Scandinavian resident. That's what's going on there. Well, do you think that maybe a few people in the last 18 months have saved some money having been completely opposite of that? Do you think maybe they're getting excited to go out and spend some of that money? We think that they will, yeah. right? So to your point, yes, COVID has had certainly a, a dent and now the likelihood of a non-dent <laughs> coming in, coming into Q4 as we see this, uh, this uh, data accelerate. Talking this morning
2: with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. This is Care for My Wealth here on Fox Sports 1070. The game, the website, careformywealth.com. That's careformywealth.com. Great resource to learn more about Chris. Pick up the phone, give him a call as well. 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. We'll continue our conversation with Chris next as Care for My Wealth continues here on Fox Sports 1070. The game. The <laughs> game. This is Fox Sports 1070, The Game, and Care for My Wealth, hanging out with Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. The website, careformywealth.com. That's all one word, careformywealth.com. Telephone number 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. And email info at careformywealth.com. That's I-N-F-O at careformywealth.com. And Chris, let's talk a little bit about um, your pro not necessarily even your process, but but one of the things I find very interesting um, that that you do is analyze successes and you also analyze where you may have missed. And I think that's 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 a it's an amazing thing that you and you talk about, by the way, um, and people who listen to the show regularly know this. You're you more than are more than willing to talk about. Hey, we got that one a little wrong. We were a little off on that one. That's to me, that shows that that, that show a great deal of transparency, but um, also an, an awesome thing that you're able to do as far as just kind of measuring where you are and, and missteps that may have happened at, at one point
1: or another. Oh, good Lord. Heck yeah. As anyone who knows me, especially my family, I'm full of mistakes. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there. But by God's grace, we try to find ways to fix them. You know, no, that's, that's a great point. I, uh, I do try to be very transparent in everything that we do. I do try to be exceedingly open and, and, and just help everybody understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. And if something doesn't go exactly like that, to be able to have a process that gets you not wrong quickly, right? If we make a mistake and we're in a position that we shouldn't be in, that question then becomes, okay, well, what's the process to say, I don't want to be in that thing anymore. And so for us, it's looking at it from the context of, is it bullish trade and trend? Yes. Is it at or below the low end of the range? Then the answer is buy more. If it breaks trade and trend and then finds itself at the top end of the range, you sell it you just dump it and move on, right? Because what that tells us is that if it's bearish trade and trend, it's likely below where we were originally bought it and something's not right. And for me, I don't care why, what I care about is the particulars of that thing at that time. And that means the math is telling me something's not right. So sometimes I'll hold on to a position that's in the red for me, because it's still bullish trade and trend. It's above the low end of the mathematical range. It's a high and rising probability of a success inside the economic quadrant that we're in. And we just kind of move on with it, right? So for us, the question that is constantly asked is, where am I wrong? What did I do wrong in the last week, month, quarter? And could I have seen that coming better as I go back? Well, why do you keep that notebook with all those crazy handwriting things and all those (laughs) spreadsheets? so I can go back and answer those questions to myself as best as I'm humanly able. And the answer to that question right now is, where could I be wrong? If in fact I'm wrong, what's the likely probability or what's the likely outcome? And that is, if we're wrong on the dollar. If the dollar stays above trend on a quote breakout basis, not from some single factor model like a moving average, but on the calculus of price volume, volatility, if it stays above trend for longer than three days, maybe there's something else going on. And if that point in time happens, we're likely to see a whole bunch of other things within our process develop, too, like rates falling, yield curve flattening, high yield spreads blowing out, all sorts of stuff start to go wrong. If that happens, well, then, you know what? We'll admit we're wrong and then, boom, clear the city. I'm not going to sit around in a party that's getting raided by somebody I don't want to be around. (laughs) I wanna be in the right place at the right time, which is a function of the economic quadrant, the signaling, and then making sure that that signaling is allowing us to buy that asset class at the low end of the mathematical range. If none of that's happening, I don't want it. I just wanna move on, take our lumps and say next. And that is how we've been able to stay ahead of the implosions like 2020, 2008, 2000, stuff like that. And, And so it's not magic. It's just a function of following what the math is saying and then asking ourselves the questions every day. Where are we wrong? And and then doing what we think is right based on what the math is saying, not emotions, not macro tourist types of headlines that say the world is coming to an end. China is going to rule the world, whatever. None of that. Math.
2: <laughs> math is king. And I, I feel like the first show you and I ever did together, you, I think your line was follow the math, which to this day is uh, so very, very true. He is Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management. Today's the day to pick up the phone. Give Chris a call, 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. The email address, info at careformywealth.com and the website, careformywealth.com. Chris, it's always great hanging out. You enjoy the weekend.
0: Thank you so much. You too.
2: This is Care for My Wealth here, Fox Sports 1070, The Game.